Hello and welcome back to the 10 Minute Break Podcast. music man oh my god yeah i know right it gives me chills i want, I want to start getting <laughs> up and dance but i'm yeah. restricted by these wires so yeah welcome guys season five episode two mm-hmm. i'm senate hamden your co-host and i'm your other co-host jeremy rank and i'm we're just so pumped this yeah, episode so pumped. is great yeah thank you guys for the support on the first episode oh it really means so much yeah. to us. and we're we're back you we're know back. And, and we're ready to bring you an episode that's a million times better Oh yeah, this oh. one's gonna be a lot, lot better. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot longer. So sorry a lot longer. For yeah, <laughs> you know, people are always conf- confused about. Oh, I thought it was gonna be ten minutes. So yeah, it is. It's called the ten minute break podcast because of our ten minute break. Yeah, but it's not gonna be ten minutes. No. So yeah, you know, thank you for everyone that's come up to us yeah. and asked if it's ten <laughs> minutes, but no, sadly no. So yeah. anyway, a recap of this episode. Um, we're gonna give uh, this week a judgment. Right. We're going to talk about our football games and exams coming up. So we're going to be doing our top three favorites, which is going to be a new segment. Yeah, a new segment. Show. And uh, this week our theme is movies. And for our main event, our interview with Father Pulse. Yeah, it's going to be a great interview. Very interesting guy, man. And yeah, I, I can't wait to learn about him and his story. So yeah, um, I guess let's transition to this week at Judgment. All right, so... Jesuit won this past weekend against St. Aug, 13-6 at the Shrine. And, yeah, shout-out to the football team. Uh, touchdown by Bo Perez. And, you know, good running game by Landon Garcia. What's your take? Right, Jonah? yeah. Uh, I mean, I personally, I wasn't in town to go see the game, but I've, I've heard nothing but good things. And finally, I mean, we get a win. Yeah, it's so been a while. I'm, I'm so excited. You know, I'm excited for the season. And I hope we can grow. I hope we can do better, you know. Yeah, this is a team that's still developing, you know, getting used to everything. But uh, I think under Coach Manali, they they're gonna they're oh. gonna find their stride right now. Um, but yeah, the the defense did really well. I think the offense was doing good, made, managing the game. Uh, yeah, and we got a good comp- uh, good game coming up this weekend against Brother Martin. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt, I remember. All the past years' experience in the Brother Martin games, nothing but good games. Yeah, right. I mean, considering the one, when was it, two years ago? Yeah. When we had our uh, championship run, when it was, you know, third overtime. Bro, yeah, that game was wild. And then it was tied, you know, and then, like, both student sections, Jesuit student section and the Brother Martin student section, they ran and met met in the middle, and it was just complete chaos. While we're waiting for that one field goal, yeah, really disappointing that we missed. But we came back and we got him at the end. Of the yeah, season. we got him at the end of the season, and it mattered. We won when it mattered the most to go to the championship. Yeah, and I know for this game, uh, there's gonna be a couple tailgates out there. I know Sadality has a tailgate where they're gonna give out um, Chick Fil A and Canes to oh, Sadality okay. members. Yeah, so if you're in Sadality, um, I hope you had fun. Yeah. Yeah, because this uh, episode will be out after. Yeah, most likely after yeah. the game. <laughs> but yeah, like, let's go Jays. All right. And then uh, up and coming is the exam weeks, and this is most likely hell week. So yeah. you know, we want to give a, a little push, a little inspiration. It's it's going to get better. And, you know, if as long as you study, you keep on going. The exams will be a breeze. And yeah, time management is important. Don't push it off until the last second. Right. Because, yeah, you don't want to be, you know, later in the year struggling because you didn't study for the first quarter exams. Right. But uh, enough of us lecturing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, exam week is kind of like my favorite week. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're laid back, you know, you, you take maybe one or two hours of school a day, and then you're off. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And then, like, yeah, if you're you've been paying attention the the whole quarter, right? Yeah, it's studying it's, at the the end shouldn't be that that bad, really bad, even though it could get bad. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, right, so now, why don't you uh, brief us on some of the senior intramurals here? Oh yeah, we got right now the football intramurals right now with all grades flag football, and I'm a part of it. Uh, you know, 
Let's go. Charlene's Angel. We're going to the championship. But, yeah, it's a good start to the season right now. Everyone's having fun. You know, getting back to the groove of competition. You know, leaving off uh, from basketball at Chimuros from last year. But, yeah, this is an exciting time. Everyone's hype going out to Will Clark Field. Yeah, yeah, Will Clark yeah, Field. Yeah, Will Clark Field. <laughs> Don't want to mess up. As <laughs> <laughs> uh, last episode. Yeah, that was bad. But uh, yeah, everyone's having fun, good energy. And I, I highly urge you to join Intramuros. You know, it's just, get a, it's nice to have a good group of friends that just, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's like, it's great to have a break during the day. Oh, yeah. Especially like with the classes going on. It's like, man, I really just, I'm not feeling good. Yeah, it takes your, your mind off of certain stuff and also it's like you, you get excited for it you know you wake up in the morning like you know you got a game at uh at lunch so yeah i, I love intramurals all right well this episode we're introducing a new segment and we're probably going to have it multiple episodes yeah. and it's gonna be called a top three top three so for this week's top three All right, Jeremy, you want to start off with yeah, your Yeah, I'll, I'll start. This week's top three, our theme is going to be movies. So my top three, I'm going to go with star number three, and it's going to be The Shining. I mean, classic oh, 1980s classic. movie, classic horror film. And I wouldn't even characterize it as like a horror film. It's more psychological. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's like Stanley a Stanley Kubrick, man. Dude, he's an wild. amazing director. Yeah. And it's, you know, about a family going up into a hotel and, you know, they had to look after the hotel. And I don't want to give up too far, but it gets pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'll it, say it must that. watch. Must watch. Definitely yeah, must yeah. watch. Number two would be Memento. Oh. And another great movie. And he's a uh, Christopher Nolan movie. And it's about this guy who has short-term memory loss. And every 15 minutes, he uh, his, his memory resets. And he's on a mission to find the, the killer of his wife. And... It's an interesting movie in the sense that it starts from the end. Oh, yeah. Like it starts from him finding his wife's killer. Yeah. And then it goes back. It goes backwards. So it's 15 minutes of a scene. And then it cuts to like him before he got the short-term memory loss. And then the next scene would be the 15 minutes leading up to the previous scene. I mean, it's pretty confusing Yeah. when you start out. But as you get used to it, it's an amazing movie. Man, that classic Christopher Nolan. You I know. know. <laughs> I know. He, he always makes things uh, yeah. so special. So, yeah. And my number one favorite movie would have to be Apocalypse Now. It's a 1979 war movie, and it's about a captain going up a river in uh, Vietnam to try to kill a uh, colonel who went rogue. Amazing movie. Must see if you have three hours to sit yeah. down and watch a movie. <laughs> but uh, it, it really is, you know, one of the greats. Oh yeah, that's, that's everyone holds that movie to high regard. But uh, now let's get into my top three. Number three is gonna be Goodfellas for me by Martin Scorsese, and I mean, come on, amazing movie, everyone, amazing soundtrack. If you have yeah, if you have not seen Goodfellas, I want you to get off of this episode. Stop right now. Stop right now and go watch it. Like I mean, it's just it's probably the most the easiest. Like what is it? Like three hours? It's kind of like a three hour movie. It's yeah, two and yeah. a half hours, and it goes by like, like yeah, that. man. I mean, the, the soundtrack, the acting, the direction from Martin Scorsese, the one of the goats. I know, man. That's absolutely, and it's like it's probably I'd say like <clears throat> rivaling like the greats of mafia movies, like oh, the Godfather. Yeah. It's up, it's, 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 it's top, like top it's, three. It's rivaling them at yeah. least, yeah. But uh, number two, this one is is it's a shocking one, maybe. Fantastic Mr. Fox by Wes Anderson. It, what's that one about yeah please, it's a stop motion yeah stop motion film uh it's like you know it's a i think it's based off a of rolled doll not a book uh and yeah it's about like this you know Fo mr fox and him and his family and they're going up against these three big industry like guys and they're trying to take away his home and kill him but you know <laughs> it, it's a really it's a really like heartfelt movie and you know he's he's learning about himself, and yeah, I, I I mean I'm not doing it justice by you know describing it, but I I, I give you, I hope you go and watch it. Yeah, it's give just, it a sense. Yeah, because like 
I, it really touched me. And I, it's just something like, especially in the fall. Now we're you know getting into fall. It's just a movie I always gotta rewatch. But uh, number one, The Dark Knight. Ooh. What has not been said about this movie already? <laughs> it, it's just the, Christopher Nolan. First of all, amazing director. He's he's my goat. He's my he's my goat. Yeah. Christian Bale is Batman. I mean, come Amazing. on. And then you got the, the direction, the story. Heath Ledger as, as the, the Joker. Joker. Man, what what else do I have to say? I mean, that's that's an elite crew of characters. Man, and then you got you got Toothface. You you got everyone. I don't I don't know how you can't, you know, say this can't is one of the like it, yeah. yeah, this is one of the top this is the best comic book movie in my opinion. But uh yeah. What, do you, what do you think about the Batman 2022 uh, compared to the Dark Knight? I had there was so much hype going into it, and it, to me, it lived up to my expectations. In like in certain aspects, exceeded it. Like I I thought it was like oh a three hour mo- Batman movie is like I hope they don't like mess it up. Yeah, but I think I think they did a great job, and I'm looking forward to the second one. Oh, yeah. What about I remember, you? I mean, I remember we we went to go see it yeah, with a friend, did. and. I really like the the dark turn oh, that yeah. they, they they took with it. You know, I thought it was great to put Batman into like a a kind of like edgy light. Yeah, in a sense, it's like know? it. And I, it's yeah, it's kind of like a a thriller movie. You don't know this nah. this Batman man is crazy. You don't know what man, he's gonna do. This dude is like exactly. beating people to a pulp. Like <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it makes me want to return my overdue library books. I'm so yeah. scared. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I love Christian Bale's Batman, but but like this one, he's brutal. Exactly. And I didn't think they could get as realistic, like more than realistic than the Dark Knight trilogy was. So yeah, me and Jeremy, we went and saw it when it came out. But we're, well, I mean, <laughs> I guess my original question was like, what? How how would you compare it to? Oh yeah, Dark how Knight? yeah how? Would, the Dark Knight is still superior. After a couple of re, you know, after a couple of rewatches, I think it does like lag a little bit towards like the the second act going into the third act and the third act is a little bit like you if you want to criticize it it could get a little bit over the top yeah. or but but i think i think to me it's it's a really amazing movie one of my favorite comic book movies because i'm just a batman fan so it's just easy to put it up there but yeah i think it c- compares well i think i don't think it reaches the heights of the dark knight but but i think for batman fans this it satisfies everything you want yeah yeah. great take great take all right well that's all for this week's top three yeah and uh if y'all have any suggestions or yeah you know, any anything, segments or anything yeah just come up to us we're open yeah and uh, <laughs> you want to give the theme of the top three in a week come, come yeah we're, we're always open we're always open so yeah anyway let's get into our interview with father pulse yeah let's go today we have padre p why don't yes, you sir. uh give us an introduction yeah thanks jeremy my name's Father John Pulse. I'm chaplain here at Jesuit High School, starting my second year. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, oh, no of course, problem. it's an honor to us. Yeah. So, how's Jesuit? How you doing? Oh, life is good. Um, <clears throat> October is a little little breather month for us in campus ministry. We had a lot of retreats in September, including a, a new retreat. And then October is a little bit of a lull, and then we warm back up again in November and December with a few more retreats. All right, right. I, I did see, like, the father and son uh, retreat. How did yeah. that go? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, it's a new retreat for us here at Jesuit High School, at least in recent memory. Um, so we took 17 pairs of Jesuit seniors and their dads to Solomon Episcopal Center. Uh, and they had a time to bond together as father and son uh, to laugh a little bit. We played some games with them, had some talks, had some prayer, uh, and they really enjoyed it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we, we had a, uh, especially our last game was uh Ping pong and peanut butter. The dads won that game, and uh, yeah, it was a quite surprise. I thought the I thought the seniors were going to win, but uh, the dads sneaked out at the end right before we Could finished. Could you uh, explain what ping pong, ping and, peanut pong butter and peanut butter? Yeah, yeah basically, uh, it's a game I've seen on a past retreat before. We decided to use on this this retreat. I like playing a little game before a talk. It kind of just keeps everybody light and uh, having fun. So this particular game was you get a piece of peanut bread, spread it with peanut butter, and then a ping pong ball. And you're trying to stick the ping pong ball on the bread and you're competing against the guy on your left or your right. And you're trying to get more ping pong balls on the bread. And so uh, for the last round, the dads compete against each other until there's one dad champion. Then the sons compete against each other until there's one son champion. And then the son champion and the dad champion compete against each other. And they had five pieces. And I think the dad got 
um, 11, I think, was the total he was able to stick on the bread. And the son had nine. So it was a, it was uh, a razor yeah. thin margin. But uh, dad snuck it out, stayed on top. His right and just. The fathers won that one. So, uh, do, do the losers have to eat the bread after? They we discussed a, a loser penalty. We decided to for, forego that. So no, uh, we just uh, we just rewarded the winner. Yeah, I know. Maybe next time we'll have make a peanut butter sandwich for the, for the losers. <laughs> so how's your time been at Jesuit so far? This is your second year, right? This is my second year at Jesuit um, and my second year of priesthood. So oh. I've yeah I've been able to spend uh, all of my time as a priest here in New Orleans, which has been wonderful, and here at the high school. Um, second year has been been off to a good start. It's nice to not be new, um, which has been wonderful. And I've really enjoyed my time at Jesuit. I teach seniors and work in campus ministry, but this year I got a new class. I got to teach eighth graders. I'm currently teaching eighth graders. And so that's been a new experience for me to work with the eighth grade curriculum in theology and also to work with the eighth grade mind, uh, which is a little different from the 12th grade mind. And so I've had a lot of fun <clears throat> teaching both sections, but the eighth grade class has been new for me compared to my first year. So I've really enjoyed Jesuit High School, learning the traditions, learning, um, yeah, how we do here uh, things here. I've, I've worked at other Jesuit schools, and and yeah, I've really enjoyed the, my time here so far. And, and y'all have been so kind to me um, and teaching me. I remember last year, seniors did a great job of, of helping me uh, learn a little bit about the school. I'd sometimes come into class and ask them, all right, we just did this at school. Why did we do that? And they were really great kind of wisdom figures for some of the traditions we do around here. Oh, well, we try our best. Yeah, we did. <laughs> That's right. So now I'm looking for this year's senior to do that. Yeah, hopefully we can keep that up. That's right. So you say it's your second year of uh, priesthood. Uh, I know you're from Connecticut. What was what was life like before you became a Jesuit? How do you know you wanted to become a Jesuit? Yeah, so <clears throat> I was living overseas in Rome uh, right before I became a Jesuit. So I was working. I went to uh, the University of Dallas uh, when I went to school in my undergrad. And they hire kind of recently graduated um, men and women from that school to work in their Rome campus. And the Rome campus basically takes sophomores from the University of Dallas and gives them a study abroad experience. And then the recent graduates work kind of as glorified RAs in the program. And so I was doing that um, when I met the Jesuits for my first time ever. I was 22. And we had a chaplain on campus. And he would come down. His name was Father David Brown. Uh, fun fact about him, he actually is a New Orleanian native and worked at Jesuit High School as a priest um, here. So some of the dads might know him. Um, or some of the alums would have known him here. I think he was a theology teacher uh, right out of ordination before he went off to Rome. And he's an astrophysicist. So he works in, um, in Rome for the Pope, studying space in the Vatican kind of science wing. And so he would come down once a week or twice a week to our campus in Rome and like say mass and have dinner with us. He was the first Jesuit I've met. So I was kind of living, yeah, pretty normal life at the time. Just had a job after college, kind of a um, kind of a gap year. I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So I was doing a little bit of work, a little bit of service, and then ran into this Jesuit at dinner one day, and we became friends. And he taught me how to pray. He taught me how to listen to the Lord's voice. And it took me about two years to discern God's call to the Jesuits. But it started with meeting a Jesuit that I became friends with. Uh, and then he taught me how to pray. And that's when I heard the Lord's voice. That's how it all began back in uh, 2009 to 2011. Uh, a quick side note, you mentioned that he was a Jesuit astrophysicist. Mm -hmm. So do they like, do they send like church up into space? Um, I don't think he's been an astronaut. Um, but yeah, he got his physics degree from Oxford uh, while he was in Jesuit formation. Wow. Yeah. And so he has a astrophysics degree from Oxford, his PhD. And his job is to research various projects i can't remember what his specialty is i want to say like red dwarfs um in space but i'm not don't quote me on that and so he does research into those projects in space and then he presents at astrophysics conferences around the world asia um united states europe and he basically gives um a scientific reading of various things but then he's also a priest so he's also thinking about um what does my study of space reveal to me about god and i remember he gave a talk one time um, to a Jesuit high school, and he said that the the language of the equations that he studies in his astrophysics world, especially the or order that he sees in his study of space, reminds him it's the language of God. Uh, so, like the order he reads in the universe um, is something that reminds him that the Lord has ordered the world in a certain way. And so he's trying to 
he brings together his spirituality and his prayer into his life as an astrophysicist. And so I don't know if there's any um, priest astronauts out there, but uh, but the church is very interested in what does the um, science world say about our world in space, and particularly what does it reveal about how our world is ordered, how it was created, and where is it going? So the church has been very interested in that, and so they have a, a wing at the Vatican that studies this stuff um, in a real and deep way. So they hire um, priests and lay people with PhDs in, in the proper fields to then go and interact with the scientific community and to be a voice in that community as, as they dialogue about the universe, black holes, space, all that kind of stuff I know nothing about. Good job. Wow. That's a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. So, it's pretty uh, cool stuff. Yeah. So, so you said um, you met your <laughs> astrophysicist Jesuit in Rome. So what happened after that? Like you, you came back to the States and you decided you want to be a Jesuit. How was your process of becoming a Jesuit? Yeah. So when I discerned to um, make the official application to become a Jesuit, we have a vocation director's office. And so you basically contact them. They send you an application. It's not that different from college. Um, you fill out all the reasons why you want to go. You write a little a spiritual autobiography. Um, they read it. Um, you go through a bunch of tests and interviews and a bunch of stuff. And then the um, committee for the Jesuits that accepts you kind of prays over your application, reads it, and kind of makes a choice of whether they think you'd be a good candidate for what we call novitiate, which is the first two years of Jesuit life. So I got an acceptance letter, kind of like a lot of the seniors will get this year. I got an acceptance letter saying you've been accepted for the Jesuit novitiate class of 2013 in the mail. If you intend to show up, please write back and tell us you want to come. Otherwise, tell us you're kind of rejecting the offer and you're doing other things. So I wrote back and said, yeah, I'll be there August 2013 in Grand Coteau, Louisiana. So not that far from from New Orleans. And I showed up, packed my bags in Rome, quit my job at the end of my year, and then showed up in Grand Coteau, Louisiana uh, in August and met 14 or 13 other brothers. We were a class of 14 men from around the southern United States that were on the same journey as me. And then I spent uh, two years in pretty heavy discernment and prayer and kind of living the Jesuit life without actually taking the formal vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience to see if that way of life was bringing me life and closer to the Lord. And so, yeah, I spent two years in mostly in Louisiana, but got a chance to travel other parts of the country to do some experiences as well, including pilgrimage, which guys always find fascinating when they learn about. And so, yeah, I spent two years. And so 14 of us started and nine of us took vows two years later. So novitiate is a time of, of intentional prayer and discernment in which you're, you're not pledging to become a Jesuit. You're, you're learning the life, you're walking over deeply, and you're seeing that the Lord is confirming your choice. And then at the end of those two years is when you make your commitment to take vows, and then you head off on your, on your Jesuit life. You were talking about the pilgrimage. What was that like? Yeah, so the pilgrimage was probably one of the scariest things I did and also one of the most life-giving things I did in Novitiate. Um, it's a process of about three weeks. I think I was 18 or 19 days um, in which they kick you out of the Novitiate and you have no cell phone and no money. They give you $5, but effectively no money. And you have to beg your way across the country um, for for three weeks. And you have an ending location. So my ending location was New Orleans. So I started in Kansas City. And I was brought to a bus station, and I had a one-way bus ticket from my novice master, which is the guy in charge of the novices. He put me on a bus, and he handed me a ticket that said, you're going to Naples, Florida. And he said, we'll see you in New Orleans in 21 days. Don't call us. We won't call you. And I was off and running. Um, and I, my brothers, were, someone was sent to Flint, Michigan. One was sent to San Antonio. I think one was to L.A. I think one was to Baltimore. I think one was to New York. So like we're sent off in very different locations. Um, and so it was, it was kind of funny. You all get on the same bus. And then as the bus gets to one terminal, a guy gets off, goes west, goes north, goes east. And then you don't see these guys again for months um, because your ending location is also different. So while I went to New Orleans to work at the Harry Thompson Center, um, another guy ended by going to um, work in a school in Florida. Another guy ended by working in a homeless shelter in El Paso or something like that. And so we're ending in different locations. We're doing work out there. And then we come back together in Novitiate um, about three months later and we debrief with each other. So it's a, it's a beautiful experience, um, but also very challenging. I'd never had to beg before and I'd never been in a position in my life where I had nothing, literally nothing. So I, I woke up in the morning not knowing where I would sleep 
what I would eat, where I would get help. And that was a very challenging time for me because it really made me trust God in a way that I had never trusted God that deeply prior to that experience. And so I, I learned a lot about the goodness of the human person, people I would encounter. I learned a lot about the goodness of the Lord and how he takes care of us. And I learned a lot about um, being un, an unknown place in my heart and my spirit and my journey and what the Lord was going to do with me in that, to embrace my fears, embrace my uncertainty, embrace hunger. I went hungry for the first time in my life, real hunger, like, like I would eat, you know, the worst soup in the world, you know, just because I was that hungry. Um, and that was really, really good for me in my journey early in my Jesuit life to, to grow my heart and depending on God. What did you learn about yourself during that time? Because I'm sure you had a lot to think about. That I don't like relying on other people. <clears throat> um, it was really uncomfortable for me to go up to somebody and say, I need your help. I had to really get over that fear um, because it's humbling. Mm. We like to, yeah, we like to be good at what we do. Think of class, you know, having to go ask a teacher for help or a you know, sports team, right? Um, to admit you don't know something and to go and get help is, is hard. And some people are really good at that. Some people do that really easily. And some people not so much. And so um, now imagine you're going up to somebody asking for money. It's like, imagine coming to school and having no money. And you don't know if you're going to get lunch that day. And you have to go up to one of your brothers in line and say, will you pay for me? Imagine how awkward and strange it would be. Well, I did that for three weeks where I would wake up in the morning, no money in my pocket. And then trusting that the Lord would place somebody in my life who would feed me. Um, and that was deeply uncomfortable. In fact, it was so uncomfortable, it took me two days to ask somebody for help. Well, I was like, oh, I can, I can make it through three weeks with $5. No, that's dim. And so I got hungry. And what made me get over myself, what made me, um, basically, it was, it was an experience of pride for me. Like, I can do this. And the Lord was teaching me, well, you can't do it, but we can do it together. And what, the way that he broke me down was when I got hungry. Two days in, um, I realized that my $5 wasn't going to get me a full meal. I mean, it doesn't even get you a full meal at McDonald's, right? If you want five bucks, you get maybe a burger and fry. You can't even get the drink. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Nothing um, big. Right. Sorry. So um, I had to then um, reach out and ask someone. And so what I did was I walked to a St. Vincent de Paul Center. His feast day was just a couple weeks ago. We prayed him over the exam. And I walked in, and this is a place that helps people who are a little down on their luck. And I walked into the counter and I took a ticket as if I was homeless because I was at the time. I had no home. And I said, hey, I, I need help. And they didn't believe me. They said, we think you're scamming us. Um, they didn't quite laugh at me, but they were very dismissive. And um, they looked at me and they said, we think you're conning us. And I said, look, I'm telling you the truth. I don't, I don't have anything in my pocket. I, I have no money and I just need food. And I'll take whatever food you got. Granola bar, you know, bottle of water. And they said, Nah, no, this doesn't make sense to me. What, what's your real story? And I said, I don't, I don't have any real story. Um, I said, I'm a seminarian that is a Jesuit, and I'm, I'm on this pilgrimage, and I have nothing. I need your help. And they said, yeah, we don't believe you. And that was hard for me because I thought I, went, I was at a Catholic location, uh, a location that's supposed to help people. Here I am looking for help, and, and I experienced a lot of suspicion. But I realized that I'm not, in their mind, I'm not a normal clientele. I was... I was young, I was healthy, I was fit. They're kind of like, we just don't see this kind of person come through as much. And so they, kind of the radar was up. And so I basically had a little note in my pocket that said my name, verified my story. And so I showed them the note and um, they were deeply moved. In fact, I still remember what the guy said. He looked at me and he said, I didn't think the church did this. I didn't think people did this. Um, this is incredible. And I said, well, I don't know about that, but do you have any food? <laughs> uh, I wasn't really interested in their You're spiritual experience. I just, I just wanted food. I was hungry. I mean, seriously hungry two days before I had, since I had my last meal. And, um, he did, he took care of me, gave me a bag of kind of dried goods, um, bread and peanut butter. It's a good story about that. Um, I kid you not bread and peanut butter, uh, that comes back in New Mexico on pilgrimage. And then, um, he said, here's a bus ticket. And I'm going to drive you to a homeless shelter that gives hot food at noon. And it was about 1130. So he took me down the road and it was my first experience of a homeless shelter really, but not being a server, being a customer in which I got in line and I needed that food to survive. And so I had a great chat with a guy uh, who then showed me the streets of Naples. He was like, Hey, I'm going to tell you how to get, I'm going to tell you which buses you can ride for free, which buses you have to pay for you know, how to get food. He's like, you want to eat here, here, and here at these times. It was a whole new network that 
you know, if I'd gone to Naples on vacation, I would have never encountered. And um, he was so excited to show me how to live and survive. Um, and his story was was wonderful. He had recently been released from prison. So he just gave me a lot of wisdom. And that kind of started me off. And that, after that, I encountered more and more people that helped me trust. So every time I was tempted to be prideful, to not ask for help, to rely on myself, um, I kept reminding myself of that first experience of just trust that the Lord's gonna put somebody in your life and ask. Like I had to initiate the conversation and I got rejected a few times, but there was always someone who said, yeah, I can help you. And so that's what the Lord was teaching me. Like, don't be timid enough. Just ask and let me do the rest. Let me put the people in your life that are gonna say yes. And don't be shut down if somebody says no to you. Like, just keep asking. I'm gonna put the right person in front of you. So I learned that lesson on pilgrimage. It's helped me as a priest too. Uh, yeah. It's a great life lesson yeah, to take it is. home today. Mm -hmm. So yeah, do you have any funny or dare I say wacky stories that you can share from the pilgrimage? Like uh, anything that comes to mind? Funny or wacky stories? <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you uh, maybe an unbelievable story and then then I'll share with you, uh, yeah, kind of a funny story, at least I'm, I'm in pilgrimage mentality. So, so right. the moving story for me was um, I had planned out my pilgrimage because I knew better than God at the time. And so uh, God laughed at me. I didn't know that then, but I decided I really wanted to go to the West Coast because I wanted to see things I'd never seen before because I love travel. So when I was in Kansas City before the pilgrimage started, in my mind, I said, man, I can't wait to get my bus ticket to Los Angeles and I'm going to see San Francisco and then I'm going to head over to New Mexico and I'm going to hit off so many countries, I mean, states, it's going to be so amazing. And so when the novice master walked in as we were getting ready to go to the bus station, he passed out all the bus tickets. Um, the ticket I had was to Southern Florida. Now, I don't know if you're good with geography, but Southern Florida and California are probably the furthest points from each other. Like the only further place could have been like Maine. <laughs> and so in other words, God said, yeah, you're not going anywhere you thought you were going. So I had actually <laughs> planned out all the places I was gonna stop on the West Coast. I had my whole pilgrimage in my mind and God just said, well, you're going to a place you didn't even think about. In other words, you're gonna have to trust me to survive. Okay, so when I finished traveling Florida, I was able to get a bus ticket to go to New Mexico. And when I was in New Mexico, there's a famous place um, called the Staircase of St. Joseph. I encourage all your listeners to look it up. It's, it's a modern miracle. And I won't say too much about it. I'm just going to leave that as a teaser. But I was at the Staircase Chapel, and this lady who was alone, she's probably mid-60s, was kind of just staring at the staircase and I on pilgrimage I got used to being bold and I went up to her and I said hey ma'am what, what you doing here what brings you here and she said oh well I'm on pilgrimage with my husband I said oh I'm on pilgrimage too <laughs> different pilgrimage <laughs> and she said my husband passed away this year and it was a dream of ours to come to this location we're from northern New Mexico and she said so I want to honor his memory by coming here and she said what are you doing here so I told her my story and she was not Catholic. She was a different Christian denomination. And she said, hey, would you wanna travel the city together and see some of these spiritual sites as I kind of fulfill my, my dream with my husband? I said, sure. So we went to a few churches together. We prayed a little bit at the staircase. And then we went to this lemonade and cookie shop. And I was, she said, all right, I'm gonna jump in my car and head back home. It was so nice to see Santa Fe with you. Um, have a great pilgrimage. I said, thank you, ma'am, so much. So she leaves the store. She comes back in five minutes later. She hands me $100. I look at her and I said, I never asked her for money. I said, what, what is this for? She said, well, as I was leaving the store, St. Paul showed up in my heart, told me I should help you. So here I am helping you. She said, use it, whatever you need. And she walked away. Never saw her again. To this yeah. day, I've never seen her again. So oh. all we did was we shared a brief moment of prayer and solidarity she was there on pilgrimage to honor her husband who had passed away. I was on pilgrimage because I had heard of this site and I knew it was beautiful and important in the United States and in the church. And we met, we spent maybe three hours together max. And yet in her prayer, she was walking away. She felt St. Paul say, care for that man. And she gave me a hundred dollars. And that helped me um, buy a meal that night. And it also helped me share with somebody I encountered to pay for them. So in other words, I was able to give away of what the Lord had given me through her. Um, a funny story would be uh, earlier than that encounter. Um, after leaving Florida, I, I determined that I would never tell anyone I was a Jesuit novice again. I was just going to be a random guy in the road. 
and I was going to be kind of the second half of my pilgrimage, like the next 10 days. I was going to see if that was going to make my pilgrimage like harder or more challenging or maybe people wouldn't be as helpful if they didn't know who I was. I was just like a random 24-year-old guy on the road. And so that was my conviction to never, never say that to anyone again. And so I get off the bus in Albuquerque. So I was traveling from, um, not Naples, where was I? Tall um, Tallahassee, Florida. And I was on a bus to Albuquerque, making my way to the church, the St. Joseph staircase. I thought it'd be a great place to pray there. So I get off the bus station in Albuquerque. I know no one. Okay. And I said, all right, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a church. I'm going to spend some time in prayer and then ask the the secretary where's like a homeless shelter in town or where's like a St. Vincent de Paul Center that I can, I can get a hot meal at because I knew that worked in Florida. So I'm walking down the street. First church is closed. Second church is closed. It's like middle of the week. So things were not open. Um, and I finally see a church that's open. Sacred Heart. I was, oh, nice. I think it was Sacred Heart. And I walk in the front door and I look for the secretary and she's in her chair and she turns around. She goes, oh, hello. Are you a Jesuit novice? <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me? She goes, are you a Jesuit novice? And I was like, I am. How do you know that? She goes, oh, because one of your brothers is here. And I was like, wait, what? She goes, yeah, yeah, upstairs. Come, come. She takes me into the residence, like the waiting area. And I walk through the door and I see one of my novice brothers waiting in the room for me. His name is Juan Ruiz. And I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I got here two hours ago and they put me up. And he goes, he said, there's another Jesuit novice here. 10 minutes later, who walks through the door? David Kiblinger, another one of our novice brothers. Now, what's incredible about that story is that, again, I was trying to plan my pilgrimage. So I was trying to tell the Lord, okay, I'm not going to, and he just smashed right through that and said, okay, that's funny. But the second thing is incredible is that David, me, and Juan started off in New Mexico. My bus ticket was for Florida. David's bus ticket, I think, was for Southern Texas. And Juan's bus ticket was for somewhere in the West. I want to say, I want to say San Francisco. On the exact same day, we all showed up in the same city at the same church without having any way to contact each other. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible that the Lord brought us together. We spent one day together and it was just such a nice fraternal recharge. You know, like you're on the road and no one knows you for three weeks. It's nice to see a friendly face, right? Um, and then we went back out again our separate ways. Um, that to me was pretty incredible on pilgrimage that guys who had no cell phone, no ability to contact each other and on different parts of the country happened to be at the same church in the same city with the same secretary, bringing us all together to have a little meal. So that's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible stuff. Wow. God got the whole gang back together. Yeah. Got the whole gang back together. <laughs> that's only through God. I, yeah. don't, I don't know how to, how to so, think that. Yeah. How do you explain that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's go into... Yeah, so how was your growing up in Connecticut? That's different than New Orleans. It's very different. So we want to get insight on how was yeah. how it growing up. Who is Father Pulse? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, I mean, I grew up uh, in, the, in a small town in Connecticut. Um, and the closest Jesuit school was an hour away. So it'd be kind of equivalent to like being in Slidell and hearing about Jesuit high school or being on the North Shore. So uh, the Jesuit schooling world was kind of out of my reach in Connecticut because it was it was probably 75 minutes to get to to the school and so it really wasn't on the radar for my family and same thing we are my local town had no Catholic schools um the closest Catholic school was 45 minutes away and so Catholic education wasn't wasn't a big thing and so I grew up where my church was the center of my Catholic identity which in New Orleans the schools the boys and girls schools are, are um, a real locus for Catholic identity in addition to the parishes but in Connecticut where I grew up it was really the parishes that that were the center of catholic identity and then also the catholic community in connecticut was a lot smaller so i think uh it's hard to it's hard to overemphasize um the uniqueness in new orleans of the of the catholic culture and the catholic community here uh in the city that it's it's very big and it's very prominent um the fact that you have mardi gras for example I and mean, that's a catholic festival in the sense of it's celebrating before you fast for lent now all the dimensions of mardi gras are not catholic i'm not saying that but like <laughs> but if you notice all the big mardi gras cities in the world yeah, have roots in catholic identity brazil italy new orleans right if you have a big mardi gras party it's because somewhere in your past you were a catholic city that celebrated before fasting connecticut mardi gras is not a thing 
Like it's not a big deal because Connecticut was primarily, right, uh, a Protestant state. And so Mardi Gras was not a thing in our culture and our history. Um, so that would be another big difference. Like we did the big Catholic holidays in the north are around smaller immigrant communities. So St. Patrick's Day. That would be big in certain cities that have a lot of Irish. St. Joseph's Day, that would be big in certain cities that have a lot of Italian, for example. Um, but that would be for them as opposed to like the whole state or the whole city. Like you guys have a Mardi Gras celebration that's for everybody, um, which is also pretty incredible. So um, anyway, that would be a big difference for me growing up is that the Catholic community was centered more around the parish, but also was smaller and was more um, um, private about their faith. And then the flip side, the seasons were awesome. I miss the seasons a lot. Like the fall, like right now in Connecticut, the, the leaves would be changing colors. Um, it would be awesome to go up into the mountains or walk trails and like all the different colors up there are just gorgeous. Um, so I miss the, that part of Connecticut a lot. And then I didn't know what a hurricane was besides like what I took Ouch. on a test and learning, you know, about climate. Um, I never experienced a hurricane or thought about hurricanes because by the time hurricanes get to uh, or any kind of like water weather gets up to the north, it's it's kind of a tropical storm at the worst. So I've had to learn a lot about um, Our Lady of Prompt Sucker and the real praying from from a strong desire to be saved from these these real powerful storms. And that was something that was, you know, tornadoes up there, you don't have a lot of that. I mean, the biggest thing we worry about is snow and freezing uh, up there. So that was, a, that was a new change for me. So anyway, I've loved getting to know New Orleans. I love getting to know the culture. I've been really grateful for the, the faculty and um, who have shown me, shown me around the city and helped me introduce myself, a northerner, to uh, to the great culture you guys got in New Orleans. Yeah, we're happy you're here. Yeah, very flattering. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I, when I was in Virginia, they have seasons. Yeah. Like, I was like, man, nothing I'm like loving it, it here. There's when I came like back it. here. Yeah, yeah back here there. we have, what, summer, 364 days. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's so, pretty much it. So yeah. I can testify he's yeah. correct. That's right. It's, uh, it's incredible. <laughs> and then there's nothing like the cut. I'm a big baseball guy. There's nothing like the first cut of the grass in the spring when the grass is starting to grow again up north and the snow's all melted and the, and the field gets ready to be played. Like, yeah, it's its own unique smell. It's, you know, springs. In yeah, there. right. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. So, uh, I heard you, uh, did cul culinary school. How was that? I did. I yeah, went to a cook. I did. I went to culinary school in Canada as a Jesuit. Um, uh, George Brown culinary school in Toronto. Um, I didn't finish the program, so I didn't become a certified chef, but I took maybe a year's worth of classes there. And so got to learn, yeah, how to chop stuff correctly, you know, hand positions, knives, things like that. I got to get a lot of the basics in cooking and then I started moving towards some of the advanced classes in my time there. So, and then ever since then, I've continued to cook for my Jesuit community. Um, I love um, cooking and hosting people. Uh, when I was in Houston, I would cook, help cook dinners for like an auction event. And then also here in New Orleans, we just auctioned off a dinner at the Jesuit community as part of the gala celebration. Um, and so I'll be cooking with some of my Jesuit brothers here and we'll be all hosting as a community of family and their friends who are coming in uh, in November uh, to come and have a meal. So I still try and use that skill both for fun and, and myself, but also for others and, and to give away in charity. Wow, right. that's great. Mm -hmm. Serious question here. <laughs> oh, I love it. So say- Also, I don't believe it's serious, go ahead. <laughs> you down, well, you let me explain all right, let me see. All right, go ahead. usually it's always a joke in there okay <laughs> so say you're dropped into i say a quote-unquote death kitchen in the depths of hell and it's you versus satan and you have a cook-off what is your go-to meal and are you winning and uh by the way gordon ramsay is the uh is the taster he he's yeah he's the, the taste tester <laughs> yeah. he decides so the host of Hell's Kitchen is having an episode in hell? Yeah. Me versus the devil. You versus Satan. And if you win, you get a golden spatula. And if you lose, um, Satan gets your soul. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's pretty dark. Wow. Oh, man. Um, yeah, the well, first, I'm going to I'm gonna cook with holy water. Uh, so that's going to be... I didn't even think That's that. going to be uh, number one thing that I'm going to do. All right. Um, but secondly... Uh, my go-to meal, uh, is probably going to be Italian because that's my heritage. Um, I'm Irish Italian. So it's going to be uh, homemade sauce that my, um, my great grandma passed down within the family. And then I'm either going to probably use that, um, with some homemade gnocchi, or if I have a fully functioning kitchen, I'm going to make my own ravioli. I'm going to stuff it probably with a little lemon basil and then, uh, hit them with a little, a little Parmesan cheese on top. Um, 
And then for dessert, probably hit them with homemade tiramisu. So probably pasta dish, tiramisu, and then appetizer. Um, you know, this is not cooking per se, but it's plating and presentation. I would I would do melon wrapped in prosciutto because that was one of my favorite appetizers over in Rome. And so you had a little fruit uh, and meat in the beginning, and then a little vegetarian option in the middle, and then hit them with a little tiramisu, and uh, collect my golden statula and my one way ticket out of there. Oh yeah, that's a that's yeah. a total knockout. I yeah. don't think the the devil stand a chance. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know what the country song says: If you're going through hell, keep on going, right? And you're gonna get right out the other side. Yes, sir. So uh, I heard you're uh, pretty bad at fantasy football, to a, according to a source. Uh, yeah, can you explain um, how how am I bad? Help me out. I've I've heard you are bad at drafting. Bad at drafting. Yeah. So let me explain what happened there. First, um, I'm on a two week winning streak in the league where that source came from. Uh, now, the last time I lost was to that guy in the league. So to be fair, to give him credit where credit is due. Uh, but yeah, so I was entered into, I like fantasy football. I've recently started playing in the last two years. Um, but I was entered into a new kind of draft, the money draft, where you, you get a certain amount of money. That's all pretend money on the app. And then you have to buy players. I was used to the, the traditional snake draft, which I'm still a fan of and still prefer. Um, and so my friend invited me to be part of this kind of money draft league uh, last minute, uh, like the day before. And so I didn't have a ton of time to read up. And so what I figured out was I have a certain amount of money. I bid on players and I was trying to spend it all. Um, and so what happened was the first round that everyone's bid, they're bidding like 50 bucks for Tyreek Hill and, you know, 75 bucks for Justin Jefferson. And I'm like, man, I only have $200 in my budget. How can I spend almost 50% of my budget on one guy? So I'm like, all right, I'm going to let those guys pass. Well, pretty soon all the top receivers are gone. I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> uh, and then I started spending and spending and spending. Well, I got to the end of the draft and I was short. I had got my whole team together. I would filled up my roster and I looked at my bank account. And I had $15 left over. And I was, the only thing I read on the article the night before on this league was don't have any money left over. And I was like, oh, oh that's not good. <laughs> and so this source that you have uh, keeps reminding me that uh, I have $15 in my bank account, but I make my fancy moves on the waiver wire. And so I've been, I've been pretty good uh, as injuries pop up and things like that to, to try and find uh, some, some secret talent out there and so anyway, I'm, I think I'm two and one in the league or two and two. So we're, we're climbing in the right direction. But uh, yeah, that, that new draft system kicked my butt. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be ready next year. Uh, and check back with me at the end of the season. We'll see how me and the source do in terms of the rankings. See if, uh, <laughs> see if I, I beat him out at the end and maybe he can pay me 15 bucks if I beat him. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to get him on here. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, Father, Father Pulse and the source can, they can uh, beef it out. Yeah, beef yeah. It out. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I love fantasy football. It, it's kept me really engaged in the NFL. Again, my best friend from college last year invited me to a snake draft league, which was a lot of fun, which ended up winning. Um, you know, hashtag humble brag. And, uh, and now I'm in a much harder league, though, this year with, with, um, uh, with some people here in New Orleans. So they're, they're really smart. They're really good. And so I often miss on some of those waiver wires I get because, uh, yeah, they're just doing research just as good as me, even better. So uh it's been really fun to play. I've been learning a ton. And it's also a good topic of conversation to catch up with people you work with or people in the city uh, as you uh, as you get to follow the season. So I'm a big Patriots fan oh, up, wow. in, uh, up in New oh. England. And, um, you know, we're, we're struggling right now. We had a really bad game against the Cowboys. Um, Mac Jones is, uh, is a good man, but uh, <laughs> still learning the offense. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to get some things right up in New England. But I'm a big, big Patriots fan. So we had a, we had a good run, and so now we're in – Trying to figure out how to put some wins together this year. Yeah, we actually uh, played the Saints. Play the Patriots next week. I'm I, I'm pretty sure. I know we play them. I can't remember if it's next week or not, but I yeah I look forward to that. It's coming uh, up. So it's probably the only week I'll cheer against the Saints. Oh, up until uh, when the Saints aren't playing the Patriots, I, I want them to win every week. But when they play New England, I I'm not ashamed to say I'm still still a Pats fan. Uh, who that? That's heartbreaking. I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, fantasy football. I actually started last year. Why'd you do that league? Too. Oh so, my good! Oh yeah. man, we got two champs. Two champs. Oh right my here. goodness, Jeremy. Yeah. What about you? No, I am absolutely terrible at uh, fantasy football. Do you play or you just observe? I just observe. Oh, I love it. Okay. All yeah, right. but oh, I love it, man. Last year I had Jonathan Taylor my first pick, and you know how that went. But you yeah. know, you went through the waiver wire. Yeah, so. that's right. You have to go through the waiver wire. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, last year I actually traded uh, for Christian McCaffrey. Oh, the well. person I traded with uh, was not super wise. <laughs> and I was able to snag Christian McCaffrey um, 
and that worked out really well for me last year. What a steal. Yeah, it was a great steal. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes here. <laughs> so, Delicious meal. What could you tell us about the nature of God? Like, what is he? Well, first, who is God? I would say. Um, yeah, so the, the nature of God, right? As a theology teacher, as we approach the divine, we always must, we have to approach on our knees and in humility. Um, so the first thing I would say is we look to the scriptures and who is God? Jesus Christ um, reveals himself. And in particular, one of the things that he uh, constantly reveals about the Father is mercy. That's um, something that I've come to fall in love with as one of the characteristics of God, the merciful, loving heart of the Father that's always willing to um, take us back if we've gone wrong and that hunts us out, like, uh, wants to be with us, right? Um, even when we don't know it. And so falling in love with the merciful heart of God has been part of my journey in my Jesuit life and in my spiritual life um, and being overcome that I've done nothing to deserve it. So who is God? Uh, Jesus Christ. What about God do I love a lot is, is the merciful heart. Pope Francis said the name of God is mercy. It's one of his first things he said as Pope in the first year and hence been a huge emphasis for him. And in fact, all the popes of my lifetime, John Paul II, Benedict and Francis have harped on the merciful heart of God as what we need most in our world today. And I know in my own heart sometimes when I don't feel merciful, that's when I need to go to the Lord and be reminded that that's the heart I need to have as a follower of Christ. Well, thank you, Father Pulse. For, no problem. You know, taking the time. Thank you, thank you so guys. much for coming on. I really and, appreciate uh, it. Yeah, we have, love the stories. Great. They were heartfelt. Amen. And, uh, yeah, man. Well, to all the listeners, yeah. I love a good joke. So we got a good joke. Oh, yeah. Come up and uh, Pulse's up and tell puns. Pulse's puns. Pulse's puns. So come on up and uh, tell me a good joke, and I'll leave you guys with one. Um, you guys want to hear my airplane joke? Oh, yeah. Sure. Let it run. Oh, it's way over your head. Uh-oh. That's <laughs> terrible. That's <laughs> awful. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's terrible. Um, yeah, I got a million of those come from. But. So can you tell another one? <laughs> oh my gosh. Kind of it was a mess. Yeah, it was oh, okay. Right. Swinging a mess. All right, fine. Um, you want to hear my ruler joke? Sure. No, it's going to be too long. Wait for it. There it is. Okay, you're starting. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, there it is. All right. Now I got I got more serious jokes, but they take more time to tell. I know we're running out of time. Well, yeah, so I'll leave you with sense. some puns. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for all the good pleasure. work you do here. I love the 10 Men podcast and uh, have fun this semester with it. Oh, we will. Hopefully, we'll have you back on. Sounds good. good. Yeah. Maybe later in the year. All right. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Have a good one. All right. So that was our interview with Father Pulse. I know. He has, I mean, an absolute great story, dude. It was so, it was inspirational here yeah, about his pilgrimage right. and the challenges he had to become a Jesuit. A lot of lessons to be learned from, from this episode mm-hmm. from Father Pulse. And yeah. We hope, we hope you could take away a couple of things, you know, if not... And if y'all have any feedback, you know, come up to us. Yeah, we're always, we're always in the open. Holes. Yeah. So, if you want to introduce a new segment to us, or yeah, guys, and uh, we'll be back as soon as we can. You know, we 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 are excited to keep putting out episodes, and yeah, thank you guys for the support, and that's it for the ten minute break podcast. We'll see you next week.